That's dumb. And hello. She was not talking about you, Chad. Oh, I I hope not. At least uh, (laughs) not without me already being online. (laughs) Were you on for that? No, I hope it was nice, though. We were just talking about how dumb it was that I have, like, a cracked lip in Portland in winter. Isn't there a lot of humidity there? Mm. In fact, it gets so thick that it actually falls from the sky. Oh, but it's Constantly, cold, too, right? every day. Yes, so therefore heaters and fireplaces. I mean, I know how it happened. It's just dumb. <laughs> so... Yeah. And I can't, what's dumber is I can't find any chapstick. I'm like, Miss Chapstick. Ms. Chapstick to you. Ms. yes, thank you Um, for clarifying. So, yeah, and I can't find any right now. Are are you one of those people that has chapstick and then, like, loses loses them in random places and you end up buying, like, six tons of chapstick? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I probably have, like, 20 chapsticks laying around somewhere. Yeah. And then, like, 40 more that I lost this year whatever yeah i mean yeah so just buy them at every convenience store i totally do Mm -hmm. i totally do i'm like ooh, one i don't have or never never get stuck buying chapstick in las vegas i had to buy some at the rio when i was there for technology last year it was like Uh 6.99 for a chapstick Oh, well, see, now you'll know. You can just ask me. And if it's a day when I actually have one, then I was kind of surprised you're in they luck. didn't ask me to over when I paid for them. I, I <laughs> right. <laughs> I well, what I had and to buy I know, year, I know but... who to go to for dongles. Well, there you um, go. Not a euphemism, yes. still. Um, I'll repay you in chapstick. I travel with many, many adapters. Yes. Being one of the lonely lone um, Apple people for a long time, I mean, there's getting to be a lot more now. But I would oftentimes go to events and things, and there would just not be any any adapters. And what is it with PCs still using VGA and not DVI or HDMI or DisplayPort or something from this century? Literally, yeah. It's it's um. They're they're scared of the uh, the dongles, I think. Then because they want to go right into the computer, they just can't but handle it. They wouldn't need the dongles if they all just said no more VGA. Dongles. Well, I'm saying the well, yeah, I guess free right. society. Everybody would need the VGAs for the stupid projectors, but uh, we could move beyond that soon, hopefully. Yes. This is good banter. We should like we should just keep this in. We should just keep going and start the show now. <laughs> all right, Judy. What are you drinking? Um, oh, that was abrupt. Um, I'm. <laughs> you said start the show. <laughs> yeah, this is how we roll. Yay. <laughs> um, I'm. I'm drinking um, Rudolph Red from Three Creeks Brewery in Sisters, Oregon. This was a listener suggestion last year around the holidays. And I think I bought one and I never drank it and I left it in Central Oregon when I moved over to Portland and something. I don't know. Anyway, so I'm finally trying it, Whitney. Um, And I I like it. I'm not a huge fan of reds. I like it. Okay. I like it better than their regular red because I did actually buy that last year for comparison. Um, And I like it a lot better. But... uh, 
yeah, I'm still still a fairly light beer drinker and kind of so, wishing that I had a dead guy. How does it how does it differ than the regular red? Is it holidayed up with some spices or is it like an imperial or something or what? I can't. It's not. It's just um it's not spiced up, which is it, that is very common for um holiday beers, but um, it's just smoother to me. I mean, I can't. I mean, it was last year when I had the other red, so I can't really remember all that well. But uh, I just, to me, it's just smoother and uh, better flavor, more drinkable. Um, I don't think I could even finish the other one. So anyway, I, that's what I have. That's what I've, I've already been drinking tonight. So all right, good. Not bad. <sighs> How about you, Brian? What are you drinking? I am drinking a. Carbach Brewing Company. Uh, they're out of the Houston area. It's You Will Shoot Your Eye Out with a Y-U-L-E. <laughs> and it is a very good take on a, a Christmas story. It even has a leg lamp on the label. Mm. Um, and it's um, it's dark. Um, it's uh, I think they're brewed with cocoa nibs and spices. Um, it's pretty... It's smooth, um, but it's not as I, I thought it was going to have a little more bite to it. Um, knowing some of their other stuff, so like the Carbox stuff is pretty. Um, their normal stuff is pretty hoppy, and it's got a, it's got a good bite to it. Um, this is a little bit more mild, but it's 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 good. I I could drink several of these. Is it a is it a big beer or yeah oh, yeah yeah oh, yeah. What's the uh, ABV on that? Do you know? I. I don't think it's on the label. I looked it up. I, I had a, had the website up earlier. I'll have to pull it up and let you know. Oh, there's even a good quote. Oh, yeah, it's a total spin. I'm gonna have to. I'll post this to the site because this is really good. It's a it's a it's a spin off of the uh, the BB gun request from A Christmas Story. Nice. It's got a, got a scope and a compass yeah, that tells oh, yeah. time. I didn't catch it earlier, but this is pretty cool, so I'll have to share that later. But it's pretty good. I, I would highly recommend it if you can find it, which I doubt you can, because I think uh, Carbuck's still relatively small. Yeah, so, you guys are not going to be able to find this outside of Oregon, I don't think. Um, like, I was surprised to even find it in Portland. I could get it in Central Oregon, because it's a Central Oregon beer. The normal red, by the way, I'm on their website, because apparently my bottle has already been thrown away. Um, the normal one is the Firestorm Red, um, and that's Central Oregon's very, like, there are a lot of fires, and especially in the summer and stuff like that. So it's like a firefighting tribute kind of thing. I didn't like it, though. Um, and I was I was looking for a better description of the... Rudolph Red, but I can't find it. Sorry. Maybe I can find it elsewhere on the internet. But I'm not going to go web surfing for it right now. Yes, You're welcome. You will destroy the show. Thank you for thank you for not destroying the show. We appreciate right. that. So the Yule is an eight percent, Chad. Just nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Good one. So uh Chad, yeah. what are you drinking? Well going around the horn, I guess we're all Christmas out. I'm drinking a Sam Adams Merry Mischief Gingerbread Stout. And it's a it's a milk stout, you know, so it's a sweet stout. It's not a dry stout. Like a dry stout would be like Guinness. A milk stout, like a sweet stout would be like a left-hand brewing company. And so this is a Sam Adams attempt at a sweet stout. And it's because it's gingerbread, it definitely has that holiday aroma and actually a little bit of a nice cinnamony 
taste to it too. It's got some clove and ginger in there, and uh, it is dark, very very dark. It's not. It's not too sweet. Uh, I mean, it's fairly sweet, but if I'm going to drink a sweet stout, I'd, I'd probably prefer it like that anyway. You know, like the left hand is pretty good. Um, I also like, uh, what is that, uh, New Holland or something? They, they make a dragon's milk, milk stout as well. So if I'm going to dr- do a milk stout, I guess I want it kind of tasty and sweet like that. So, But I also I'm, I like the dry stouts as well, but this is nice. It's actually got some gingerbread guys. Um, on a toboggan going down a hill, and one of them's lost his leg. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> and it may, by the taste of the beer, it may have landed in it. So, <laughs> I do like Three Creeks art. I will say this is very important, right? But yes. labels yeah, are label really arts. important. Label art. I definitely bought beer because of the label art. Before. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Chad, how have we not had you on the show before with the beer and the? You guys may not know this about Chad, but he's. Can I say this? Can I tell people? I, I don't know what you're telling them. So well, let's go ahead. That you're that you're a brewer. That you're I, a home brewer. I am a home brewer. Yeah, I That's, actually I've uh, done. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I'm not not an expert by any means, but I've done maybe dozen, dozen and a half batches or so, and you know, I'm contemplating getting into whole grain, like full grain brews, but still doing extracts. But enjoys it. It's good. It's a good good hobby. It gets me away from the screen. Yeah, really. yeah. I've kind of contemplated picking that up sometime in the next few years. Just seems like a. I mean, I'm not really all that into cooking or crafting or anything like that. It just, but I, I want to pick up something that's like making, you know, yeah. in the physical world. Absolutely, yeah. When I'm when I'm not in front of the computer screen, I I either brew beer in the summer. I have a vegetable garden, and then I also do. Um, uh, I have a smoker, and I do smoked mm. meats and nice. briskets and stuff like that. Nice. So, yeah. Goes well with homebrew. It does. Deliciously yeah. so. Fruits of your labor. Absolutely. I've got a uh, a buddy in the area here that, that does some homebrew, and they actually went all the way to buying the full tree and everything. Oh, and man. Got, oh, they're real serious. They've done... Um, you know, they submitted to some beer festivals and they've done, um, they've done some, some really cool stuff, but so, so they're on the, on the verge of doing like a nano brewery. Have you heard that term? I haven't. Yeah. So it's like people renting storage units mm-hmm. with, with the brew tree in there and then they just sell kegs out of their, out of their storage unit. Wow. <laughs> so. That's a gray area of beer selling. It, it is, and, and in Texas, Texas is really strict on distribution. Yeah, and so it's kind of a pain to even get a, a brewery started, even even if you have some funds. Yeah, that's not not cool. Have you guys ever seen that documentary, The Beer Wars? No, no. I have it on my no. on my list though. Bump it up your queue and watch it. It's All a right. good it's a good watch for sure. Good to know. I have to yeah, so how have we not had you on this show before? Start <laughs> keeping the links already, Beer Wars. So, so tell everybody who you are, Chad. Not that, that, I'm pretty sure everybody that listens probably already knows, but just in case. So, yeah, I'm, I'm Chad Udell. I'm the, uh, I'm the Managing Director at Float Mobile Learning, and we're available online at floatlearning.com. And we've been around since 2010, beginning of 2010, so we're going on the almost the beginning of the third, third year. Um, of delivering mobile learning strategies and solutions for clients, as well as developing a whole bunch of apps and things like that that we've got in the store. 
Um, in addition to the apps and things that we build for our clients, we also build apps direct for sale to consumers and educators alike. And uh, I just recently published a book on ASTD's publishing um, called Learning Everywhere. And it's specifically focused around mobile learning content strategy, as well as I also give some pretty good guidance and advice on how to design and develop mobile learning. Um, everything from tooling that you should choose on how to you know, actually create the stuff down to creating prototypes, pilots, the whole thing. And, you know, I'm a bit of a traveler. I go to a lot of conferences and speak at a lot of events, so there's a good chance that I probably met maybe some of your listeners and things like that. So, I think we met at a conference. I think we did. Actually, we were out in New Jersey, I believe. And and you were working on the book at the time. I was just thinking about that as I was reading it, and which I finished it today, by the way. Which, oh. don't be offended, please, because... Like, I've actually read your book, and that doesn't always happen before someone comes on the show, apparently. So, um, and I, I highly enjoy it. But, but yeah, I remember that you were working on it at the time, and uh, that was really kind of cool to start to see that process. You actually got a chance to look over the outline of the book before almost anybody else outside of Float did. Oh, that's true. That's true. That was very early. That that was, but I didn't. But I didn't get like a review copy like some people, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking at the like the, the who had quotes and everything on the back of this, and I was like, "Oh, hey, Brian has a quote back here." But um, yes. I, I, I have to say, what I really liked about the book, um, in addition to all the things that you talked about, were just like how encouraging and emphatic you are about doing the right thing and doing things right. Um, and not, yeah, I mean, not encouraging to people, people to just kind of get off their butts and, and, you know, maybe start small, but do it right. And, and, you know, it's not, it's not like sarcastic or nasty or cynical at all. You know, it's just like, but, but at the same time, you know, don't, don't cut people slack about, you know, Mobile learning is not, you know, taking all your, your content and, and, you know, switching it to HTML5 or switching it to Storyline so that it can be read on a smartphone. You know, not, not that. Um, but you're just very, very, the tone of it is just, like, very yeah. encouraging and, and um, positive. And I really like that. Yeah, I yeah. think that's it. I think the encouraging and practical, were, you know, that, yeah. that's the thing, too, is that it, it, no matter what level you were at, um with it there's something to pull from it for sure and and you can you know get started or or improve whatever you've already started i think that was pretty good yeah that's really cool that you said that i i you know in creating it obviously there's been a couple really great books written on the subject you know gary whittle's book the mobile learning edge and then clark's work that he's been doing books that he's mm -hmm. got a number mm -hmm. of white papers tremendous huge influence mm -hmm. you know obviously very authoritative very um, great content, but it's also somewhat um, a little bit more academic than than my voice. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, and then going back, even I don't know if you'd ever read Dave Metcalf's book. That was like in two thousand six, right? And so great stuff. All of it very very rich in in content, but also somewhat dense. And I was trying to produce something that was really just approachable and, like you said, encouraging. Practical, positive, so that's good yeah. to hear that yeah. you kind of read that way. So thank Absolutely. you. Yeah, thank you. 
Oh, and so um, you also have, you guys have apps um, available to the public and um, Tapestry is one of them, but there are others. Actually, I think we've talked about one of the others on this show before. It was super early on, it's though. probably Rebel Browser. I yeah. I talked about that a couple of times. Or the Primer application? Oh. Yes, yeah. it was, yes, it was Primer. Because we were talking about mobile apps that were sort of about instructional design or about e-learning, so mm. it was the Primer one. Yeah. 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 That Primer app, that's been out for almost... Almost two years now, I think, or something like that. So would have had to be, yeah. It's been a it's been a while. I mean, it it, it continues to get updates through the because it's hooked up to a content management system. So if you launch it intermittently, you'll see like it'll ask you, "Hey, there's new stuff. Would you like to get it? You know, downloaded to your version." So we keep adding case studies and like there's a chapter in my book is in that app now, and uh, we've added an update that's available on iOS in the Apple Store. It's available on the Android, you know, Marketplace or Google Play. I keep calling it Android Marketplace, even though it's been Google Play for like a year. I just cannot stand that branding. <laughs> Google Play drives it's, me crazy. Yeah, it's awful. crazy. And it's also on the Amazon App Store as well. So cool. um, it's available in a lot of different areas. It's free, and we don't even ask you to purchase anything inside the application. We just kind of do it as a service to help people get acquainted with mobile learning, yeah. and especially mobile learning from not, a courseware or miniaturization point of view. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And then most recently, or maybe most recently, Tapestry. Uh, yeah. Taking- Actually, um, most, the most recent application that we launched was one called Sandbox. Which, oh, oh, right. I just signed up for that, but I forgot about a, it. Yeah, you it's, tell- a new, it's a new web browser that we built for academic settings, but also lab settings and kiosk settings. So it operates in a whitelist fashion. So if you've got maybe 15 or 20 iPads, or in the case of an enterprise, hundreds of iPads, or school districts, hundreds or thousands of iPads, and you want to, say, for example, limit the sites that the person can visit, um, through the use of parental restrictions on the application, I'm sorry, on the operating system, and then also through the use of plist files or configuration files that you can download through the Internet, you can actually restrict the websites that people are able to see on the device. So it makes it a lot mm-hmm. safe. The iPad very safe for a classroom setting. And yeah, yeah. There, are, there are a number of other like kid-friendly web browsers out there, but many of them operate more in like almost like a blacklist fashion or some right. of them require a subscription. And this is you purchase it once, you can configure it, you can configure literally dozens, if not hundreds, of devices in the time that you would take to configure only one. So it's really scalable, mm-hmm. and only it's only two ninety nine. And if you're an EDU, if you're an education institution, you get it for half price because all of our apps are EDU discount. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah, that wasn't even the one I was thinking about, though. The one I was thinking about was the uh, Tin Can Statement Viewer. Oh so, yeah, yeah. We actually just pushed an update to that one as well, and now that's compliant with the .95 spec. So they added stuff in the .95 spec over the .90 spec um, in terms of verbs as well as a number of other things. And as they gear up and can, or the experience API starts to move towards version 1.0, there's going to be another number of revisions in it, and this is just us keeping our commitment to keeping that that application fresh, keeping in step with the community. And then also we use a library of code in the statement viewer, which we also sell as a separate standalone. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get started building iOS apps that are tin can compliant, 
So this would be like proper apps that you could potentially push out to your learners via uh, mobile device management, mobile application management, or even the app store if you wanted to. You can get a jump start on all the tin canniness of the tin can apps, and you don't have to actually write any tin can connectors codes or nice. data realization. It just gets you a lot faster into it. Like sweet, you could have if you nice. use that library have your app tin can enabled in like ten minutes. So mm-hmm. very very useful. cool. We'll have to link up to that because I, now I'm like, I, I, need well. to pl- I need to go play with that. <laughs> yeah, the guys at Saltbox actually had uh, a student workshop out in Seattle just this past week here. I think it might have been yesterday. Yeah. And as part of that, we were offering all of the attendees the ability to purchase that library at half price as well. So, um, which is good. I mean, we want to get uh, kind of grow that community, you know, and help cool. get Tin Can up and running. So, and we built a built an application you just mentioned at the beginning of the podcast or I guess maybe 10 minutes into the podcast about uh, social and informal learning and that's all built on Tin Can as well and it's called Tapestry it's uh, T-A-P-P-E-S-T-R-Y and uh, that's a social network primarily focused around events as well as social learning and that's all Tin Can everything that you do inside of that app is a Tin Can statement so when you create a thread or or a learning event that's a tin can event. When you favorite something, when you rate something up, when you comment on something, all of it, all of it is tin can through and through. Nice. Yeah. Well, you guys Very have cool. a bookmarklet for that now too, right? Or you have it, you've had it for a while, but there's a bookmarklet, iOS version. There's an Android version, and then also there is a web client as well. So if you go to tapestryapp.com and you, you can log in with the same account and on any of the devices. And we're using the same back end on all of them. So if you're on Android, if you're on iOS, if you're on web, it's the same network for all of it. So, uh, yeah. What, That's what's... been really fun to sort of watch that ecosystem develop because I think to some extent you really need that. You know, nothing is – well, I mean, there are things that are standalone. But if you want to, you know, have a goal like capturing or facilitating social learning or, or informal learning wherever it's happening, then you need more than just an iOS app. So I've been really happy to see you guys kind of build that out. Yeah, that's that's really cool of you to say that. I mean, it's it's been a challenge for sure. I mean, we're not a we're not a funded startup. We're bootstrapped, you know. So mm-hmm. every every decision we make is definitely something that has to be weighed and 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 balanced in that type of framework. And so because of that, you know, we don't have the luxury of, say, for example, Instagram and being able to have a ton of marketing behind the things that we're doing, you know. And mm-hmm. so um, Instagram has taken this approach that they want to get iOS perfect before they even think about doing anything else. And like Path, um, the network, I know you, Judy, right. you like Path quite a bit, right? Yeah, totally. I was just thinking about Path, actually, in terms of it pretty much being just one place, although it has started to branch out, too. Yeah, it's available on Android now. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Path is on iOS and Android, but there is no website for Path. If I, I mean, you can see, you can see Path events. You can see events. That's basically yeah. it. Yeah, you can't like go there to to enter events right. that and I know so, of. So. Yeah, you know, we have enterprise clients that are saying, "Look, not our entire our entire workforce has not moved over to mobile yet." So, right. Tapestry mobile first, and obviously Float is a mobile first company, but. We recognize that not everybody has made that transition over yet, so we had to create the uh, web client in order to, you know, help help bridge that gap. So, when, when when did you actually roll that out? 
the web client. So, yeah, the web client and um, the Android version all launched at DevLearn. So oh, okay. that you know, at the end of October, beginning of November. So it's been you know a month, month and a week or so, and it was a it was a run up to get it done because we added a lot of features to iOS. And there's not a hundred percent feature parity. There are some things that are available on iOS that are not available on Android or on the web, for example. But um, you know, it's it's a pretty darn good experience across all the platforms right now. So, so yeah, I don't really care about that part. But um. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we know yep. that. Uh, no, but uh, so how how much? Uh, I'm just curious. I I thought it had been out for a little bit longer, but I, so you may not have that much uh, data on it. But I was just curious how much tra- how much uh, traffic you were getting just from the uh, the web the web app. The web, the web is definitely trailing behind the two of them, you know, and, and I would say iOS users outnumber Android users significantly just looking at the analytics. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but the interesting thing is I think that, you know, our demographics may be slightly skewed, mm-hmm. and the reason that I say that is because we probably are leaning more towards being early adopters at this point, right? right. Early adopters, the people that I know anyways, tend to be iOS users. Whether it be iPhone, iPad, or even the newer iPod Touch, which is a slick device. That new iPod Touch is a really cool device. So, you know, I mean, people just tend to go that way. I mean, there's a lot of people that have Android smartphones but still have iPads, you know? Right, right. So, mm-hmm. so what do you, so getting back to, you're getting into some tools, um, what, yeah. what do you guys use for analytics? Uh, oh, that's very that's awesome. I'm glad you kind of are going this way rather than talking about like software development tools. Analytics is way more. <laughs> we may get to that, but no, I, no. I'd I'd I would like to know what you guys are doing for analytics because I know that's a big part of uh, figuring out what's working and what's not. Yeah, so some of our enterprise clients are using things like Omniture, so we're very familiar with inter- integrating Omniture with our applications. Um, unfortunately, for internal bootstrapped applications, I don't really have the budget to secure an Omniture license. Right, right. If Omniture would be willing to give me a license for my internal apps, I would be very happy to integrate that <laughs> into my applications. But um, at this point, we're using a combination of Google Analytics as well as uh, Flurry. Have you ever heard of Flurry? F-L-U-R-R-Y.com. Flurry.com. So Flurry has an ad network, but they also have an analytics platform, just like Google has an ad network, and they also have an analytics platform. And the, the two of them inform each other. If you have an ad network, it tells you what type of analytics you should build. If you have an analytics platform, it tells you how to better sell ads, right? Mm-hmm. And Flurry's uh, analytics just so happens to be 100% focused on mobile. Like There is no real way to interface Flurry.com analytics with your website, but it works great for mobile because it's just all hinged around click streams, tap streams, if you will, and events that happen in place of the uh, application. So we can measure in, in apps that have Flurry inside of it all the way down to like when people search, how often they search, what the user session length is, how often they return. And then very interestingly is if you categorize that application across one of their particular segments, you can see what your usage analytics compare to um, and in other applications that are in your segment. So you can see how your app behaves or is used in terms of it being an education application or it being a gaming application and so on. Yeah. Nice. So Flurry is definitely where it's at. It's really, really cool. The one thing that I don't really care for about Flurry 
is that if you have an Android version of your application and an iOS version of your application, those two stats live separately. Oh, you can't come hmm. on. Oh. You'd have to download it and cross-tabulate it. And, you know, I'd, I would rather, you know, hug my kids and stuff rather. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Get, you need some minions to do that for you, and then you're good to go. Tables at the end of the day. I want to do something fun, right. like brew beer or smoke meat or something. <laughs> Google Analytics, does that... Does that work inside of apps as well? I mean, I I just haven't. I've only used it on web on the web side. So, yeah. Or yeah. is that just Flurry for for Google Analytics works really well for apps. There's a SDK for or API, whatever you want to call it, for both iOS as well as Android. Nice. And everything really that works in the desktop version works in mobile. I mean, I can create custom dashboards. I can get real time activity. I actually mm-hmm. have, in all of the apps that I, I try to, if I can, if I have the ability to do it, and I can put Google Analytics in there, I always like to create a tag inside of the Google Analytics dashboard. This is not some extra flag um, in the application, so I'm not, like, stalking people any more than anybody else does in Google Analytics. But <laughs> uh, what I can do is actually set up a custom alert so that when somebody is reviewing my application in a certain city that happens to have the largest company in the world, that reviews every application that goes through the app store to my phone via text message that says someone in this particular city is looking at your application. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) When, when for review and then currently in review, it's nice to know, Oh, actually somebody is looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not in some dead hole somewhere. Right. Yeah, Joe, Judy, in, in, in answer to your question, it works, and it works wonderfully in mobile. Cool. Cool. Good to know. So um, so tying back to data, this, I'm, I'm sort of going through I, – I actually went back through kind of the book, and I went through some of the order of how you were talking about different tools and everything else. But I'm actually curious, when, you, when you're presenting to clients or when you're – Talk, presenting to even just your team information back on so you've got the data you get the analytics from google or from flurry are you doing anything with it before you present it or are you doing using any tools to visually enhance it or to you know chart it anything like that well google analytics by itself is only half the story you know so um inside of google analytics with a bit of bit of time reading the help documentation, you can quickly learn how to create custom dashboards. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to say, for example, create a cross-tabulated list or a a comparison, say, for example, of bounce rate versus frequency of usage over time from a specific geographic region, I'm just getting really specific, you could actually do that by creating a custom dashboard in Google Analytics. Right. So then you can provide that dashboard because they have a sharing facility. You can provide that dashboard to somebody via email. Then they can add that to their Google Analytics. So a custom Mm -hmm. dashboard that we create for ourselves as part of the design and development process, we can easily share that with a client at the end of the project so that they have that going forward and can measure the application using the same criteria that we are. Okay. Everybody's got the same measuring stick. Right. Um, 
another another segment of tools. I don't know if you guys are going to. I'm going to ask about this, but testing and deployment. Do you guys talk about testing and deployment? Like, how do you get your stuff out to people, and how do you let let people? No, I just I. I really haven't done any of this at all. I mean, I, I thought your book was very informative on that. Um, and also with the, the authoring tools. And I would like to talk about that. But yeah, go for it. Okay. So, we'll, yeah, we'll definitely get to authoring tools and things like that in, in a little bit. But, and I don't think I made specific mention of testing and deployment tools. Tools, right. It was more about processes, Absolutely. which was good. Yeah. So, and, and processes can be abstracted to any, any right. number of tools. So some things that, that are really cool is if you're an app developer, there are some crash reporting and deployment tools that can help you in making some more sense of your test process. Mm-hmm. There's one out there. It's free. It's iOS only, but it's called Test Flight App, and it's available at testflightapp.com. Right. Have you guys heard of that before? Well, I helped beta test Tapestry, so we use that. Yeah. I've used I've used Test Flight for a few things, and uh, but I haven't I haven't deployed anything. So the there's the testers end, which you guys have seen, where you can right. email and it says, okay, there's a new build of an application download. You can download it here by tapping a link, and it does an over the air installation of an application, basically outside of the app store, right. even if you're on iOS, and that's using a development certificate. Um, you have to get the device's UDID, the identifier from them, and transfer all that information, yada, yada, yada. There's some provisioning. I won't get really into that because that would be a really disgusting, gross conversation to have over <laughs> But bottom line is, is like there's the deployment end of it, which you guys have seen. But or I'm sorry, yeah. the, the installation end that you've seen. But the deployment end, I can actually see after the email has been sent, who's, in, who's read the email? who's installed the application, who's launched the application, how many times they've launched the application, I think, if I remember correctly. And then I can actually even see crash reports. So if the application does crash, it actually sends me the console log from the device saying, it crashed, here's the stack trace, and then it symbolicates the crash, so it tells me where in my code it's actually causing the issue, which is super helpful. That's very cool. And um, building on that, there's an application that's pretty new. Um, it's come out. It's called Hockey App. It's at hockeyapp.net. That's H-O-C-K-Y-A-P-P.net. And that's very similar to Test Flight, but it's also um, for iOS and Android. Mm-hmm. One of the key differences also is Test Flight, Test Flight is free, and Hockey App costs like 25 bucks a month or something like that. Right. But it also does crash reporting. And it tests. It allows me to see when somebody says, "Oh yeah, I tested that app. I tested the heck out of that app." <laughs> you, can, you can actually look at their their log and say, "Dude, you ran the app for three minutes." Heck <laughs> out, out of anything except for maybe playing some uh, letterpress or something like that, you know. So I wouldn't I know would- anything about letterpress. I don't, <laughs> I don't play letterpress much. You're not addicted at all, right? No. No way. It takes me a lot more than three minutes, though, return. I'll say that. <laughs> well, depending. You got letterpress strategies? You, you want to share any of your strategies on how you, how you win? Um, I'm not sure that I win all that much, except when I'm playing with Brian. But Ooh. play with Brian. Oh, there man. you go. <laughs> There's your strategy. Ouch. Um, no. 
Um, I actually, I there are cheater things out there, but I don't. I'm just saying that there. That's one way people go. But um, I look for like common. Um, I don't know, suffixes, prefixes, you know, groups of letters that would be, you know, used together and tend to, you know, build words around those. Maybe not over and over because that's kind of diminishing returns on that. But, um, you know, every time you, you make a word, no matter how stupid, you know, try to put an S or whatever at the end of that. And I'm saying this because as it turns out, the word stupids, plural of stupid, is in the letterpress dictionary. Right. Just so just try it. You never know. Yeah, but yeah, beard isn't as in you beard me with B E R E D. I also tried that mm. and that was not that was not in there. But um yeah, yeah. no, I mean there is a verb. Or, right? I don't think that's and, true. What did you say? I don't think that's true. Beer is never a verb. You can't beer somebody. Oh, of it should you be. Can. <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, there are only words that I know are are just you know they're not proper nouns or what. You have to you have to get over the Scrabble thing because it's, the the dictionary is just sort of random. It's not the same rules as Scrabble. But right. there are words that I've tried that really are words like quixotic, you yeah. know that that aren't in there. And I'm like, what? You know? And then I just end up sending people a screenshot and being like, you're so lucky. Letterpress is stupid or whatever. So <laughs> they had a messaging system in that app. Totally. And I used to think the same thing about draw something. Draw something sucks now. Oh, um, I tried to start playing again a couple of weeks ago, and oh my God, it's awful. Did anyway. they change something? Because I haven't been in there in I don't know, a long time. Well, there is a messaging system now, but um, I know that I paid you know, 99 cents or whatever for the full version um, before, you know, back when it was you know, in its peak. Um, and, but it's not recognizing that now and I won't pay 99 cents again. So it's just riddled with ads and all mm. kinds of stupid. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's just really annoying, uh, ever since it went over to Zynga. So yeah. I haven't played it since then. The game has um, been Zynga'd. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's going to be a verb in so, no time. Zynga'd. I'm going to try that in letterpress next time. I- <laughs> <laughs> it's in there um no but yeah i don't know i i mostly just play to have fun i'm not super competitive in letterpress you got to take the corners that's oh, oh i absolutely do that yeah i mean i i don't really worry so much about the points i worry about the board yeah totally like i try to take the board yeah all right so anyway back to back to software and tools. I, I don't know. Letterpress stuff might be m- the most important thing we talk about tonight. Well, I know that Chad is really trying to avoid talking about development tools. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really. I mean, I, I, yeah, I know, I know why you, you would think that I am. And that's probably because I've probably had a number of conversations with you at, at any number of events that result in me going, Nobody's doing anything innovative, basically. And that's me being the nice Chad. Right. So nobody's being anything innovative. But there's just no understanding, truly, of what these devices can do, what these yeah. devices can really mean to an organization or to a learner yeah. um, when, or a user, or whatever you want to call these individuals that are subjected to these, some of these horrible, horrible 
mobile experiences produced by some of these tools. And I, I understand you can't blame the tool. You have to talk to the designers. You have to talk to the developers and make sure that they understand how to better reach their users, their learners, etc. I, I completely get that, and I totally agree. That's part of the reason why Flash got such a bad reputation was uh, the tooling made it so easy to build stuff that so much bad things got built. And so yada, yada. You guys all know the story. I think sure. you probably... 25 times before but the thing is is none of these vendors right now are really doing a whole lot of of a service to any of us in the industry yeah i think that's the that's the key is you may not you can't necessarily you don't blame the tool at every point but at some point you hope that they'll push things forward instead of and that's what we do you know we're trying to call out on is just you know do more than what you have to do do more than just what the market's calling for or what people really want you to do um I feel I feel like the iPad and the tablet form factor, the Android tablets, has basically served as a get out of jail free card to these mm-hmm. tools. Yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, well, we don't have to shrink our stuff as much, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not tiny courses; it's just uh, medium sized courses. Medium sized courses. <laughs> M learn or tablets are totally M learning. That's the same. Oh, that's, that's totally what they meant by that. But but on any of these on any of these experiences, and you could go around to any number of events, conferences, etc., and they'll they'll demo you the things that have been produced that run on an iPad. And yes, they run, and they run, and they run beautifully. They've done a great job of transferring like PowerPoint effects over to HTML5. <laughs> They've done a yeah. fantastic job at making the Flash drag and drop interaction work on iPad. Whatever. Okay. Hooray! You've you've <laughs> ma- right. <laughs> right. You've so, expanded the suck to more platforms. That's but, exactly right. You've done. You've you've just n- taken crappy stuff and pushed it to different platforms. Exactly. None of them are really exploring what we can do with the devices, you know. And many of them haven't really even ventured into the application world at all. They're all staying very firmly entrenched in the browser. Or if they're going into the application, they're going more as like this kind of runtime shell. So you yeah. download, you go to the app store, you download their app, and then you can play any content that's been created in their app. And I'm not going to name any names at all, but <laughs> approaches are... Gee, who do we know who does that? All, they're all admirable because they did it first, but they're only admirable because they did it first. And yeah. so, that's that. Not not a single one of them can allows me to use the GPS on my device. Yeah, not yeah. right. One of them allows me to use the camera on my device. Virtually none of them understand swipe gesture, pinch gesture, any of the things that I use on every single other app in my system. So you know, like anything as mundane as getting directions to where I am. So, like, if you built, say, for example, a, an onboarding application, you know, and everybody that's done e-learning has built an onboard, onboarding right. course, right, at some point or another? Sure. If you built an onboarding course and it had a list of two dozen different locations and you're taking that onboarding course at your location, shouldn't it say, we noticed you're at corporate yeah. list. Would you like to make that your default location? Right, exactly. What what could would oh, that could do, do Chad? Something totally, that I would... could do a totally cool tour. Oh, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> um, but no, no, no. This is this is okay. Somebody just reached out to me today. Someone we know um, to ask 
you know, okay, I have a client who wants something, you know, e-learning built in HTML5. What should I use? You know, quick tool recommendation. What are you using? And so my question back was, why does it have to be HTML5? Or, or rephrased, what of, which of the advantages of HTML5 are you trying to leverage? Do you just want it to play on an iPad? Or do you want it to be more searchable, more accessible, blah, blah, blah? You know, do you want geolocation? What it, you know? Why are why, why are you asking about HTML5? Sure. Um, because a lot of people, that's the, and a lot of people who have asked for you know presentations or writing or whatever, they tend to conflate runs on an iPad with HTML5 right. with M learning. Mm-hmm. Sure, you know all of those things are are somehow the same, and they're not. I mean, I know I'm totally preaching to the choir here, but um, strategically and technologically and whatever, they're totally not. And I think that there isn't enough understanding of that, so we, you know, we continue to push that, and until the industry pushes it, the tool vendors, I, I suppose, can't be blamed for doing what they're doing. Um, but there's another part of it to me as well, I think, with M-learning, most of the things that you're talking about that really leverage the benefits of the mobile device or the gateway to all human knowledge, as it's been referred to on the show before, um, those are really – yes, exactly. Very good. Um, uh, as quoted by Chris Rockwell a couple of episodes ago. Um, so most – That episode, it was, it was very entertaining but also very profanity-laden. <laughs> I think that we labeled it as such. Shocking. Uh, I I think that that, so this one is just about to get profanity laden because now I have to quote something Um, we were you know doing pre-show banter or whatever and and they you know were cursing and like oh is it okay if we curse and I was like oh my god like half of our episodes are explicit and Chris was like well what the fuck is wrong wrong with the other half and so anyway (laughs) that's that's very mobile learning punk (laughs) (laughs) Let me get back to my point here, um, and I do have one. Um, all of the things that, like you talk about in the book, that really most of the things that really leverage the advantages of mobile are pull type interactions, and by and large, I still see our industry or our field very focused on the push. Yeah, don't you think that's a huge problem, though? It is a huge problem, absolutely. Uh, and I'm just, I'm not saying that... Do adults that, typically that, learn by and, pull or push? Do adults typically learn by pull or push? By pull, yes. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying that that they are the vendors are not seeing a big demand for that reason, it seems to me. I think the same about learning through social media or quote-unquote training through social media. If you want to use social media for training, the problem with that is that social media thrives on pull and training, quote-unquote, thrives on push. It just seems incongruent in a lot of ways. Yeah. And so I've read about like how to use social media for training and things like that and there are a lot of great ideas in there but also some many that I've heard before that are just forced like it's like this is what you could do but ultimately it just the the modalities are just different you know know. oh absolutely the modalities the motivations you know and and the learning theory behind all of it is completely different we use this term in in learning 
um, you know, whenever you see in the in the meeting, somebody brings out the word pedagogy, and you know, it's like, well, you used a big word. I, you have to be correct. That <laughs> by itself is actually, in many regards, flawed because we're talking about andragogy instead, and it's how adults learn, not how children learn. And we're not putting people into a class. We're not putting people into rows. We're not making people do rote memorization of specific tasks, like how to write your A and Danilian across a line. We're past that. We have those basic skills. And really what we need to do is we need to use our skills that we have on how we learn, apply them in a metacognitive way to determine what it is that's pertinent information and allow us to do our jobs in a proper way. And none of the tools that are on the marketplace today actually facilitate metacognition nor further adult learning in any sort of reasonable, realizable fashion. They're all push. They're all curriculum driven. None of them are learner driven. Preach it. <laughs> uh, we should just end there because that's awesome. Um, but uh, no, you're absolutely right. I Nothing, going back to your innovation thing too, is like nobody's doing anything. Nobody's, nobody's and it's not like the the information isn't there that the, the um, you know, talking about how um, the, the, all the information that they need is there. They just haven't built anything that helps somebody like me or somebody like Judy or somebody like you to build something that I, somebody would actually want to use and actually learn from. Right. Like, do any of them even have a plugin or an, an API that allows them to tap into an existing company wiki or Wikipedia installation? Like, Wikimedia, the Wiki Foundation, it's been around for how long? A decade? Yeah. 15 years? I don't even know. Yeah, longer than that. Ever. And it has a number of different incarnations in a variety of different platforms, whether it's PHP, Java, etc. I would imagine that all of those have some middleware, like an XML or a JSON data transfer, mm-hmm. but none of these learning tools allow us to use existing information repositories. So this is why in my book I focus around things like the concept of content strategy, because many already have the content in an existing repository or warehouse, right? But our tools don't allow us to retrieve information out of those warehouses or repositories. And so therefore, what do we do? We spend our time creating outlines and storyboards and Word documents that get turned into PowerPoint slides, run through technical presenter, and then push through a flash plug into our screen. And all of it is just black box after black box after black box that we can't even get inside of. And so the real proper advocacy that we need to be pushing today is not the birth of new tools that allow us to even do cool things on these devices, but rather tools that allow us to free our content from the shackles of the runtime and the engine that the vendor has push our stuff through. Right. I'm sorry, I'm not laughing at you. The- the so the the idea in, in in this is what one of the things that stood out in your book too is is the the idea of content strategy and and, and content in general because I in my experience um, the a lot of the organizations that I've dealt with have no content strategy they have no content governance they or they have very siloed content and so you can't you know, one, one sales will not allow anybody sales and marketing may not allow anybody to tap into their information. 
Yep. Um, and so I, I guess um, one of the things that what what is your experience? I mean, do you see more people that do have good content that just don't know it and they need or they don't have the tools to access it? And that's There's, what you guys build, or are you... there are a lot of there are a lot of teams out there that have access to good content and they don't even know it. Okay. And the reason that they don't know it is because five or eight years ago, some manager pissed off some other manager in a <laughs> meeting. Oh yeah, <laughs> they haven't made friends since then. Right. You know, it's time for the learning people to to make friends with the technology folks. It's time for the learning people to make friends with the marketing folks. Take them out for lunch. Buy them a coffee, a latte whatever it might be in the uh, employee commissary or cafeteria and say, look, I don't want to run my IT. Um, I don't want to run my LMS anymore. I, w- I don't want to, I don't want to have to choose all my tools anymore. What we have in the learning department is a lot of great content. What marketing has in their area is a lot of excellent photos and beautiful imagery. We understand the features and benefits of our product and services Marketing has the resources to get beautiful videos and great stuff, and IT has the tools and facilities to make sure that it can get into the hands of people that need it. Mm-hmm. So let's stop being petty. Let's stop fighting over requisitioning of, of tools and skills and hours and time. and Let's actually come together to build some really cool stuff. And this is exactly what I'm talking about in terms of your book and your writing style and positive and encouraging and exhortational for the good. Yeah. That's like the book. Buy it. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, you you know, you're, you're exactly right. So, okay. Let's say there is a company that has their content in order and knows what the hell they want to do and actually has a decent strategy around deploying this content to you know x mobile device whatever Love it. then then what do they do then what do they do what, 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 what do you recommend as far as frameworks or as far as um you, you talked about uh wireframes and mock-up do you have do you have tools so i guess oh absolutely we're we're, we're you know we're um i don't want to cut this really short but Tools to do wireframes and mockups, and tools, you know, frameworks, or like something like a phone gap or something else sure. that you recommend. What What are those? You know, what's a list of, of things that you? Sure. Recommend? So, just to give you kind of an overview, real quick on our processes: sketch. I'm sorry, outline to to node map or typographical view of what the project is going to look like. To content outline, like a deeper outline, and then a sketch of the individual states or screens, uniqueness, basically, to wireframes or block diagrams, to prototype, to mock-ups, to alpha, basically. And so um, outline, there's a lot of outlining tools that are out there, right? Omni Outliner is a kind of cool one. Obviously, you can just use Word if you have Word. Um, and it has some decent outlining tools inside of it. From a sketch perspective, I use pen and paper, pencil and paper. So either like a 0.5 millimeter pencil, graphite pencil, and a moleskine, or a really nice micron, small micron uniball pilot 07 on a moleskine. And I also use stencils from uistencils.com. I do too. They're very nice, really cool. 
super super worth it. They just came out with some markers today. I don't know. Did you, did you get did you get their newsletter, Julie? Or I did? didn't. <laughs> did you get did you get their newsletter? It's a it's a it's, they have these, I haven't seen it. These gray tone markers. It's like a set of like eight markers. It's like eighty dollars, and I still want to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> are they all like? Are they just different shades of gray? Yes. Uh, oh, so beautiful. I want those like big set of like all the warm blacks and the cool yeah. blacks. Oh, I know they're awesome. The, so the thing to remember with those though is always sketch at proportion or aspect ratio to the device that you want to do use, and then you scan them in, and then you can actually build a prototype using sketches. So, yeah. so inexpensive, just a quick way to test, see if your basic idea is correct. Move from there into uh, wireframes, and I use Omnigraffle, though if you're on Windows, you could use something like Visio. Um, cross-platform, you can use balsamic mock-ups. There's also some other tools out there like SmartDraw. Um, uh, Google Draw is coming along. PowerPoint definitely works. Keynote. Um, I like Omnigraffle, personally, mainly because I'm just very familiar with it and can do some really cool stuff with it now because I've been using it for so long. And the template community is out there, and it's huge. But it's Mac only, and it's also fairly expensive. It's a couple hundred bucks for a piece of software. So um, I like that. Um, the other tool I think that's really vital that people start to look at is their prototyping platform of choice. There's a few out there as well that I like. And um, Field Test is one of them. It's at fieldtest.it, F-I-E-L-D-T-E-S-T dot I-T. And then there's also one called Envision App, and that's I-N-V-I-S-O, no, V-I-S-I-O-N, app.com and both of those are rapid prototyping tools built for making mobile prototypes you build it in the browser you can share a link out to people on their mobile devices and then they can interact with the prototype as if it were an app on their phone and we built the early prototypes of of a number of our applications on that including client facing apps so and it's it's really robust it supports gestures like swipes and taps and long presses and things like that double taps i think on a couple of the different platforms so that's kind of cool um to the point where we actually had clients go awesome looks like it's already built you know? yeah well have you have you messed with pop at all i've not i've seen it i was actually at a on on site at a client's um premises the last week and they showed me pop the one thing that Field Tester and Envision have over top of Pop is Envision is built for collaboration, so I can work with a team on a prototype. Okay, yeah, all in the same space as me, and then also um, I build on the desktop, which is a very good creation tool, and then I consume on the tablet, which is not really that great for production yet at this mm-hmm. point. And then also another thing is is that prototype on pop can really only be shared with that device on pop like i don't think there's a really great tool for sharing to other devices yet is there on that not that i noticed i think you you if somebody else has the app i think you can send it to them maybe i i don't but it's not it's it's still clunky you're right it's not and it's definitely not collaborative at all like Um, vision if i create something and then i can i send you a url either via email or sms you can tap on the link directly from your device and then interact with something that I create on the device. Right. It behaves just like an app. It's, it's pretty darn cool. So. This was one of the most 
I, no, I would say it was the most helpful session in the um, um, the conference. What, what conference was it where we met? It was in Learning DevCon. You did one on like sketching and prototyping and everything like that. And that was, yeah, yeah that was the one that I learned the most from. Um, tried out a bunch of great tools after that. I'm addicted to balsamic mockups now. That's just my thing and there there are always new things and sometimes better things but you know once you get really used to a tool it's it's not always worth it to to switch around a lot and i've really really liked using it and getting getting really proficient with it yeah it's tough to abandon like i like i said i I love omnigraffle i use Mm -hmm. it i know that there are probably some better diagramming tools that are starting to emerge but i love it and it goes all the way back I use a text editor on my Mac, and this is going to date me, but I use a text editor on my Mac, Mac called BBEdit. Oh, Did yeah. I, I use BBEdit. So I still use BBEdit to write my web pages most of the time. <laughs> and I know there's way better tools out there. I've used them. I have them on my computer. I've got Coda. I have Espresso. I have the newest version of Dreamweaver. I've got all of that stuff. But yeah. nothing beats just the simplicity of that tool. It launches instantaneously. It saves instantaneously. It's super light, super quick, uses hardly any RAM. And the version of BBEdit, I'm going to really, really make myself look bad, but I'm using a version of BBEdit from 2007. Oh god. Okay, I'm I'm not. <laughs> but no, I mean I don't I don't write a lot. I do a lot of editing and looking into, you know, text files and whatever. Um so just that's really all I need. I'd really like to switch to Coda, but I don't do a you know, enough heavy development that I just get any tool that I want. So, yeah. I mean, that's, I get it. that's for my simple web stuff. I mean, I obviously yeah. have- Xcode and everything, and I don't think I, well, you know, actually, I, I build my stuff with a lot of like different CSS or JavaScript frameworks. So, using BBEdit doesn't hamper me. You know, like I don't need the productivity, yeah. tools, for example, in a lot of those things like Coda. I don't need a lot of code snippets because I'm already using things like jQuery or I'm already using things like the Foundation Responsive Web Framework or other mm-hmm. types of things out there. You know, help me build things right. faster. So I don't need the the niceties of being able to plop in a chunk of code from a, you know, a widget palette or something like that. I just, I'm largely using my browser, I'm sorry, my, my editor to hack together styles and give IDs and classes to items rather than writing huge amounts of programmatic JavaScript or something. Yeah. That was incredibly geeky. I'm sorry. Hey, it's no. cool. I used, I, I used okay. text edit for... Sure. Like, that's probably probably if I were to track the most launched and used application that I have, that's it's note taking and writing and some code. And I use Coda, but I'll I may even start something in text edit and then move it over because it's just text and light. Don't get me wrong, I like Coda. I, I like Coda. I yeah. like Espresso. I think they're all really cool tools. Even Xcode um, is is actually kind of. Uh, ridiculously overpowerful tool for creating simple web pages in, but it's also kind of fun just because the IDE looks so cool, you know, so you can just yeah. like feel like you're part of the matrix while you're creating a web page. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great software out there. The thing that's interesting is while you guys obviously are focused around things like tools, the toolbar, hence the name, right? But um, it's more about. Is that me- why we're named that? 
It's more about standards and specifications, really, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, I think that's one of the the weird thing sort of on this frontier is that our our industry or our field has gotten so used to like rapid development tools. And when you're talking about web technology or something that's not just around creating presentational e-learning, it's just more about web tech. You know, it's just more about, I don't know what you just said, you know, simple, relatively cheap tools and knowing the codes and knowing the standards. Sure. Well, and, I mean, that's, that speaks to the fact that we've kind of commingled the term instructional designer mm-hmm. and then developer yeah. for eight, ten years or whatever. So instructional designers have often become developers, but they're developers that don't understand how to actually develop products right. without rapid tools. Right. right. Oh, very much so. Instructional designer that's got an e-learning developer title and then plunk them in front of something where they're going to have to write code, write markup, you know, JavaScript, et cetera, they're going to probably have a very hard time. And it's not going to be, it's not going to be fun for them. And yeah. they're going to go and they're going, to, they're going to be like, man, I know all about Bloom's taxonomy and Maslow's hierarchy and Gagney and Dick and Carrie and here I am <laughs> trying to figure out CSS. Where did things go so horribly wrong? Right. <laughs> right. And that's not a positive experience for anybody, really. It's just well, not. The it's tool just, vendor gets a bad rap because their stuff is not friendly. The instructional designer starts to hate their job. They're looking at their manager with loathing and disgust, and they don't want to be doing that. They want to be providing really good value to their organization by creating awesome instructional materials. That's really what right. they want to do is they want to help somebody do their job better. Well, the course was created under the auspices of saying, oh, we're going to help these sales reps out on the floor know how to sell their product better. Right. Here I am, and I'm stuck, and I don't know how to make a freaking drop JavaScript drag and drop. <laughs> <laughs> but but no. you said you said something there, Chad, and I think that's the that's the thing that where where we all went wrong is that it has to be a course that they needed. Sure. Right, and so that's where it, instead of just instructional materials that were being developed, it all became everybody that did any ID work was developing courses. Well, that's part of it, but but we're also hamstrung by our lack of technical knowledge right now. I mean, it's funny when I talk to people for the HTML5 report, like the people at Etcetera, and at, um, I'm sorry, not at Float, but uh, Neil Floro, um, they're Nick Floro. God, um, I was like, <laughs> he'll forgive you. That's, sorry. that's wrong. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, but people who are really highly technical, they're talking about how, you know, how much better and easier to learn web web technology and web code is than like ActionScript or whatever. But from the perspective of the instructional designer, um, who's not a developer but really a designer, but has that developer role and they know how to use Articulate or whatever, um, that's just a really hard sell. That's still a huge ramp up in skill. Um, and so it might be better than Action Script three, but it's still you know a far cry from what the actual designers are used to doing. Yeah, it's still code. Exactly. So, yeah. Did we lose you, Chad? No, I'm still here. I'm I'm totally here. I'm sitting there nodding. I'm nodding silently. This is not a video podcast, but you would have seen me. <laughs> Giving you the rock uh, fingers, you know, and the whole. Awesome. <laughs> I love rock fingers. So, all right. So one one quick thing. Uh, I just wanted to. Uh, how, how what's our runtime here on the show? By the way, oh, uh, we don't care. I don't know. 
It just All depends right. on how much beer we have. Okay. So I'm, I'm totally but, out, but this is good stuff. Keep it, keep it rolling. The conversational aspect of the book. Hopefully this, this uh, kind of hopes uh, resonate or whatever. So I just want to talk about this area where I say, let's examine some of the high-level business benefits that you would consider for your mobile learning initiative. And so I say, um, all right, hopefully you've made a list of all of the things that you've already talked about. If you haven't, go away, make a list, come back. Okay, great. You did come back. Um, I was worried. Maybe you wouldn't have recorded them all. Let's take a look at some of the things that you should be looking at doing when you go into mobile learning. Yeah, yeah. And this is this is really for any mobile or, or sorry for any learning initiative. Increase productivity, increase sales, increase accuracy, increase connectivity, improved communication, improved attention to detail, decreased mistakes, decreased defects. Reduced accidents, reduced safety incidents, reduced risk, reduced overall cost of learning, measurable return on investment, increasing overall activity levels by completing tasks done while on the go, accessing just-in-time information when it's needed, having easy access to colleagues and your personal learning network anywhere. Woo, quite a list, right? I mean, some of these are pretty provocative. Do any of those, I mean, how many of those get addressed in the average piece of e-learning right right yeah Yeah, no and you know they're all things that corporations or organizations say that they want from the Mm l&d teams you know and i'm just gonna leave that there i'm gonna leave the second half of that there (laughs) just saying you didn't even go under the butt but i'm i i think that I think that everyone else, I think that everyone knows. Our listeners chat are very smart. Everyone knows the butt. Everyone knows the butt. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. And there you go. That's and there you go. So, all right. You, you heard it, software developers, tool vendors, et cetera. Give us, give us the power. Let us tap into these devices. I want, I want the, the first, the first uh, mobile learning tool coming from an e-learning developer that allows me to access the GPS or the camera on the device. I'm going to give that person at, the, at a conference, wherever I see them, a, a big old kiss or a beer, whichever one they prefer. Hopefully it's wow. the beer. <laughs> um, oh, see, if you were going to say geolocation, I would say Toolbook has already done it. It's what's uh what what are they what I'm not even I'm not familiar yeah with it. they're like every time I say toolbook everybody's like what uh, they're not I, still around are I they I was gonna say yeah I know toolbook from like 1998 right? or something they yeah. apparently are still releasing new versions because there was one that was released in the last year that has um, geolocation ability and toolbook and Lectora are close to the only I would say the only major um, tools that have put natively to HTML for a long time um, and Toolbook is it's not user friendly in any way it's it's a lot worse than Lectora in a lot of ways um, but it actually has started taking advantage of some HTML5 capability including geolocation so well, there's that but no camera yet that I know of so you're safe on the beer and the kiss okay well no it's not an and it's an or or oh okay Okay, let's, let's make that very so, cool. so So Chad gets to kiss some total. Well. 
I don't want to. I don't want to kiss some total. I've never seen them at a conference, so I think you're probably safe. So, oh, it could be a coffee too if they're not. If they're some people aren't into beer. Occasionally, yeah. we've even had them on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't. I think when Ruben and Chris were on here, they weren't. They weren't drinking beer, were they? They were. I think That's they were no, drinking we, like straight up like. Yeah, they've had rye, whiskey, yes. whatever. We've had that. Aaron, we've had we've had gourmet water. We've had gourmet water. Uh, Dave Kelly didn't drink beer. Um, Diane Elkins <laughs> didn't drink beer. Dave Kelly didn't drink Bud Light Lime. That's not uh, beer. That's not beer. <laughs> so he doesn't. It doesn't count. Um, D- Dave's made it into almost every episode since that episode too. Somehow, so that's funny. I um, appreciate that. We had several teachers. I've yet to meet him face to face. I no, no, serious. Are you going to yeah. be at Technology? I will be at Technology. We'll we'll hook that up. Yeah. Like you couldn't just go up and introduce yourself. I think I'll be in Technology a lot. Like I'm doing pre-conference work for them for a mobile learning certificate program, which you should totally register for. Um, and then I'm also doing a couple sessions at the conference. So, cool. I'll Very be there. Cool. I will definitely be there. I need to find a way. I've got a, like a lull in the middle of the week. I need to find my way up to San Francisco and just get out of San Jose a little bit maybe too. Though. We'll I've talk. Been, I've been to San Jose so many times over the last Yeah, five we were talking about that with ImLearnCon and DevLearn there a couple of years back and yep. now yep. Technology. Yeah. And Technology was there a couple of years ago. I don't know if you were at that one, Chad. I don't remember. but um, I've been there outside of those types of conferences as well. Yeah. So it's not that I don't like San Jose. I totally do. But however, I do like to see other right. areas of the United States as well. It's like yeah. San Jose and Orlando, I think I'm done with. I, yeah, I'm done with Orlando. <laughs> I'll I'm, not go, learning, but... I'm not going to Learning Solutions yeah. this year. So but, I really am. I guess on that list, too. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm, um, I like Vegas, okay. Tell you what, though, people, if you start having your conferences in Portland, that I'll definitely go. Right, Portland. I, I would like more in Chicago. I would like. Uh, oh yes, maybe I would some too. San Diego. Uh, let's see. Austin. Austin. Austin would be lovely. Definitely. Yeah. So. At the, uh, the the Chicago. Mobile- I haven't been to Chicago in a really long time. I would love to make it out there soon. Yeah, you should. It's fun. I'm I'm only a couple hours away from there, so I make it to Chicago quite often. So it's a it's a great town. I lived there for a number of years. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a good place. We'll find something fun to do. Yes. That would be good. That would be really good. Well, I'll be going to the Northwest sometime in 2013. I think I'm going to Seattle, maybe Kirkland. Is that a place yeah, out there? That's, yeah, that's up in Washington. Yeah, I'll be there. We're doing the mobile learning certificate program for ASTD there. Oh, wow. I'm doing a tour of the U.S. on the certificate program. So oh, wow, cool. We'll be doing... I think uh, Austin, or Austin, maybe? Yeah, I believe Austin. Um, I was in San Francisco in 2012. I don't know if we'll do that again. I'm doing Dallas, perhaps? I don't know. It's, it's all up on ASD.org, but we'll be going to a number of different locations, too. Yeah, that's Dallas. That's ASD Ice is Dallas. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Cool. So, Stuff. Cool. Yep. Well, then I guess we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank oh, you oh. very much. 
Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Appreciate it. It's been a long time coming, I think, and um, it's good stuff. And we'll uh, we'll have to talk again about this uh, the state of the mobile side of things, and well, just in general too. Yeah, anytime, anytime. I, sometime call call me on uh, when uh, Chris and Ruben are going to be on there. Yeah, wanna, that'd be good. <laughs> let me let me give sh- uh, props to his book. I, I don't know if you if he saw a bump at all after he was on your show, but. His book is awesome. I I am really, really, really remiss in not having finished it yet. But what I've read is really, really awesome, and I will, I will be giving the love on the blog once yeah. I'm done. But, um, but yeah, no, it really it is as is yours. I think I think hang in there because I, the first chapter with the hockey analogy it kind of lost me a little bit because mainly I'm not Canadian. <laughs> right but the rest right. of the book is fantastic like yeah. it is really a great it's something that everybody that is in learning should read yeah it's, it's really exactly. not due to the book it's just the time factor it's it, you know i'm yeah. i'm just not as conscientious about sticking with books as i would like to be that's all so um yeah but thanks for the shout out i'm sure yeah. um so, learning everywhere, and uh, Ruben's book is learning on demand. Yeah, we'll, yes. we'll link it up. In We're gonna the, do a tour. We'll do a tour together. It'll be learning everywhere. Learning everywhere on demand. Yes. So. Yes. Okay, guys, read Chad's book. It's really, really good. It's one that you will take and plop on your coworker's desk or your boss's desk or your CLO's desk um, and say, "This is what I've been talking about," or "Yes, this guy knows what he's talking about." Um, because yeah, he does. Um, and check out Tapestry the app yeah. if you haven't. And uh, yeah, all that. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah, the book is available on Kindle. It's available on ASTD.org. It's available on Amazon. It's available on our site as a DRM-free PDF. So if it's not everywhere at this point, I'm not sure where else I could go. <laughs> <laughs> or if you're one of the top tapestry users at devlearn yes. chad might give you a copy and inscribe it that, just for you that could happen that, that could, could happen, happen. <laughs> which can't happen with the kindle version just saying right 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 that's no, a good it's it's a great and i i it's a good reference to after you've read it as far as coming back to it when you're ready to take that next step wherever you are in your process your huh? strategy it's good stuff thank you brian thank you judy Thank you, Chad. Thanks for having me on tonight. Well, there you have it. <laughs>